This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. Let's go ahead and read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. Beginning in verse 1 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come while they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So Paul's writing to Timothy here, and what he's telling, what I want to specifically look at is there in verse 2, where he says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. We're going to key in on that verse this morning and look at and take a deep dive in what he's telling Paul to do. That's his charge. That's his encouragement that he's writing Timothy, and he's telling him to go do these things. So we're going to break that down and see what he's really saying. So let's start off where it says in verse 2, preach the word. If we look at preach the word, it's just that. It's for us to stand upon the word of God. It's to preach the word of God. When we go out and we preach, we should be preaching the word of God. In Romans chapter 10, verse 15, it says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Paul is sending Timothy to go preach the word. And when he's sending Timothy to go preach it, we have it recorded in the New Testament for us. He's telling us to go preach the word as well. So in Romans, it tells us, how shall they preach except they be sent? Well, this morning, you consider yourself to be sent. Paul is writing, and he's telling us to go preach the word. So you have been sent. Now we should go preach that word and go do what we need to do. Now, sometimes we may hear of people say, well, I just don't really know what to preach. I don't know how to go teach the word of God. I don't know what I should talk about. I don't know what, what to do. Well, we have a really good example. Jesus wrote in Luke chapter 4, Verse 18 and 19, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus has given us what we should preach. You can break that down and look at it. It says, Preach the gospel to the poor. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Go preach that to everybody. We all know that story. We know what Jesus did for us on our behalf. Go preach it to them. He has sent Jesus to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent us as Christians to follow after Jesus' footsteps to go heal the brokenhearted as well. To preach deliverance to the captives. You know, when you think about the people in your life that they're, they're still in captivity of sin, they haven't come to Jesus Christ, they haven't obeyed Him in, in gospel and the baptism, we should preach deliverance to them. How can they be delivered from those bonds of sin? And that's by obeying the gospel. Preach recovering of sight to the blind and to set them at liberty that are bruised. Nobody can do this except preaching them through, through Jesus Christ. So when we think about what to preach, he's quoting Isaiah here. It's preaching the word is profitable for all when we just preach what people need. And everybody needs Jesus. So we can just start there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 
You know, the Bible is here. We have the complete scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, so that we can be perfect. We can be complete. That word perfect means complete there. And we can be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It will inspire us and it will teach us what good works we need to do. That's not just for us, but that's for everybody. So when we think about preaching the word, just preach the word. Start somewhere. It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. You can start anywhere in the scriptures that you want and just start talking about it. Start preaching it. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae here, and he says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes we hear people say, well, they just don't know enough to preach. They don't know enough to go teach the world and what they need to do. Well, just preach what you do know. And we all know the story of Jesus. We all know that he's the son of God, that he came and lived a perfect life, showed us the perfect example of the footsteps we should follow, and he gave his life for us on the cross for our sins. We know that he gave his life for on the cross, that he was dead, he was buried and resurrected on the third day. We know he sits on the right-hand throne of God. We know that he rules everything. He's the savior of all. We all know that story, so we can just start there. So when, you, when Paul tells us to preach the word, that's exactly what he means, is you've been sent this morning to go preach the word. Now the next thing that Paul says, after he says preach the word, it says be instant, in season, and out of season. When you look up those words in the Greek concordance, be instant means to stand upon. And in season means when it's convenient. And out of season means when it's not convenient. So here's what that really means. Paul is saying, preach the word and stand upon that word. Stand upon it as your foundation when it's convenient for you, and stand upon it when it's not convenient for you. I'll give you a really good example of how it's convenient to preach the word of God and to stand upon it. Right now is a convenient time for me to do it, because we're all like-minded. We're all here for a reason, to learn more about the word of God and to follow Jesus. This would be a convenient time. So it's easy for me to stand upon the Word of God and preach it for you right here and right now. Well, there's sometimes it's not so convenient. There's sometimes you may come across somebody in your life and they don't want to hear the truth. Or they may push back a little bit. Or they may give you a little bit of a hard time. Sometimes it's just not as convenient. When you think about the works going on in foreign countries like in India and like in Nigeria, I can guarantee you it is not convenient for them to preach the Word of God. However, they are still doing what Paul taught Timothy. It's preach the word of God and stand upon it even when it's not convenient for you. That's what we're called to do. So we're taught to do that as well. Stand upon the word of God when it's convenient. Stand upon the word of God when it's not convenient. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 says, Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and to thy doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. You know, when we stand upon the word of God, it is definitely to save ourselves and save our own souls. And it's also to save those that are around us. They'll look at your conduct of life. They'll look at how you will stand upon the word of God, even when it's not convenient for you. And they'll be inspired by that. And they will want to save themselves as well. Psalms chapter 119 verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn, and I will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments. The psalmist here is writing, and he's saying that the word is our guiding light, that we can look at this word of God, and it will guide our directions, it will guide our steps into everything that we need. 
So if there's anything that's troubling you, if there's anything that's maybe a roadblock for you or something you're struggling with, we can always dive into the Word of God and get our answers and figure out where we need to do to proceed. Now, when we have our answers, when we see that it's our guiding light, then it says in verse 6, I have sworn and I will perform it. Now it's time when we know the guiding light, now it's time to actually follow it and to take action and take those steps and do what we need to do. And when we do those things, when we stand wholly upon the Word of God, even in inconvenient times, we'll both save ourselves and others that are around us that will be inspired by your actions. Acts chapter 28, verse 23 says, And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him and to his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God. This is talking about Paul here. Persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that Paul had spoken one word, Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto the people, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their hearts, and, understand, and, un, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. This is Paul, and what he's talking about is Paul, when you look at his journeys, and you look at all of his missions, his trips he went on, it was kind of his ritual when he would go into a new place that had a synagogue, he would go to the synagogue first. He would go there and he would start teaching because the Jews were usually there at the synagogue and it was pretty open for them. So a lot of times when a visitor would come in, they would have the visitor come up and, and say whatever he needed to say to see if they had a new message that he could bring up. So it's pretty convenient for Paul to go to these synagogues and to, to teach them. Now what was not convenient for them is a lot of Jews did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't want to believe it. And Paul was one of those persons. Back before he was Paul, he was named Saul. Saul was one that he didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah either. And in fact, he went out and persecuted and killed the Christians. So Saul has a very unique position. That Paul can go in front of these people and he can teach them and he can relate to them, both knowing the Jews' religion and the Christianity and how he can teach them to follow after Christ. Well, it still says even Paul, who we, we consider one of the greatest teachers in the New Testament, even Paul had people who wouldn't, wouldn't believe, they wouldn't follow after him. When you look back at that, it said that he was persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law and out of Moses. He was showing them through the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the one who fulfilled all these prophecies, and he is the Son of God. And in verse there in 24, it says, And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. I hate to break it to you, but if you've ever studied with anybody and you've ever tried to show them that Jesus is the Messiah and how they should obey Him, you're going to have some people that believe you. You're also going to have some people that won't. And quite honestly, that has nothing to do with you. When we think about Jesus, even Jesus Himself, He had many people following multitudes following Him. And a lot of times what we see is the multitudes would follow Jesus when He was healing them, when he was feeding them, remember he was feeding the 5,000, there was at least 5,000 men, not including women and children, who were following Jesus because he fed them. But then what happened when he started preaching the hard things that they didn't want to hear? You can look at that and it said most people turned away and they stopped following him. They didn't want to go. And then he turned to his 12 disciples and his 12 disciples, he said, will you also turn away? 
His 12 disciples stuck with him. Now, I want you to think about that for a little bit. There was at least 5,000 men, not including women and children, who followed him at one point, and that whittled all the way down to 12. And then even one of his 12 stopped following him, Judas. Judas is even the one who betrayed him. So that actually whittled down to 11. So you can start out with 10, 15,000 people that whittled all the way down to 11 when he started preaching the hard things. And this is our Lord and Savior Jesus, the perfect teacher of all time, that people stopped following him, they wouldn't obey. My point of bringing that up is when you go preach the word and you stand upon it when it's convenient and when it's not convenient for you, do not expect a 100% conversion rate. It is not going to happen, and it has nothing to do with you. And you will be quite surprised with the people who actually will listen, and they will obey the truth. So preach it to everybody when it's convenient, when it's not convenient for you, and just see what happens. It's up to them to make their own decisions. The next thing we have in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says, Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Now it says, Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. What do those words mean? We talk about these words, reproving someone, rebuking someone, and exhorting others. What does that really mean? Well, reprove, it means to show the fault. Rebuke means to show the correct way. And exhort means to comfort and encourage. Now here's your formula. If you want to have somebody, you want to turn them from evil ways and turn them to good ways, and you want to show them how to do it, this is, this is what you do. You show them their faults with humility, with kindness, with meekness and long-suffering. Show them their fault, and then show them the correct way. It's one thing to show people they're wrong, but if you never show them the correct way, what do you expect them to do? If you don't replace the bad with good, the bad is going to come back every time. So show them the fault and then show them the correct way, what they should be doing instead of where they're wrong. And then here, in my opinion, is probably one of the most important is the exhortation. Comfort and encourage, and that never ends. Comfort and encourage forever. So it tells us here, if we look at it again, reprove, show the fault, rebuke, show them the right way, and exhort, comfort and encourage with all long-suffering, that word long-suffering means patience, and doctrine, the scriptures. So you're still using the scriptures of what you have, of where you're showing people that they're wrong, showing them the right way, and you're still using the scriptures to encourage them and, and to have patience with them to continue on. Now, if we look at that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, Paul says, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. This is why we're exhorting and comforting each person. And Paul's saying he's, he does it as a father doth his children. Now, when you think about that, if you're a father and you have children, why do you exhort and comfort your children? So that you can encourage them to do better. You want them to live a better life and to be a better person. And in verse 12, he's saying that, that you would walk worthy of God. That's why you exhort and comfort, so that they would walk worthy of God, who has called us into his kingdom and glory. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, it says, Now we exhort you, we comfort and encourage you, brethren. Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. So Paul is exhorting the church here, and he's writing the church at Thessalonica to carry on, to warn them that are unruly, 
He's telling them to get them back on the right path. Comfort the feeble-minded. Stay true and comfort those that may have a tendency to go off into other things. Support the weak. You know, it's just common practice. You're going to have some citizens and some Christians and denominations and churches. You're going to have some Christians that are stronger. You're going to have some Christians that are a little bit weaker. That's common. So support those that are weak. Make sure that we're continuing on with them. Now here's one that's sometimes a little bit hard for us, and that is be patient toward all men. When we think about being patient toward all men, I think a lot of times when we're studying with someone, we're working with someone, we're trying to encourage them to do better, we kind of have this time frame in our head of when we expect them to actually get it. When we expect them to just get what the Word says and actually do it. Now if you think about that, somebody probably had that same time frame in their head about you when they were studying with you too. And they were patient. And we need to be patient with people. If you think about through the Old Testament, you can look through however many times Israel would stay true to God and then things would go well and they would forget about God. And they would turn to false idols and they would go disobey His commandments. It happened over and over and over again. And then we think about how long-suffering God was for His people. How long-suffering and how much patience He has for you and I when we mess up continually. It says in Isaiah that we're as like filthy rags, we're as like nothing. And God, He's yet, He's still patient with us, and He's encouraging us to continue on, strive to do better. And if God can be patient with us, then we can be patient with one another as well. So don't lose patience when you're studying with people. Preach the Word. Stand upon that Word when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. Show people their faults, and tell people how they can do better. And tell people how they can do better with encouragement, with humility, with meekness, and with patience. Make sure we're staying patient toward all men. Titus chapter 2, verse 15, Paul says, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Sometimes when we're speaking with the Word of God, we need to speak with a matter of authority. Now here's one thing I want to make sure we understand. It's not our authority. This is not my authority when I'm speaking the Word of God to you, and it's not your authority when you're speaking the Word of God to your fellow man. It's the authority of God. Because he's the one who wrote it. One of the very first gospel meetings I went to was a man by the name of Marlon Cole. Now Marlon is a fantastic speaker. And he'll say some things that it kind of gets some people a little bit disgruntled. And it is the word of God. Sometimes there's some contradictory things in the word of God where you've got people on both sides of the fence. And he'll just lay it out there. And one thing that Marlon said that really stuck with me Marlon said, you know, I didn't write these things, I just wrote them. So if you're going to be mad at anybody, you can be mad at God, because he's the one who wrote them. And that's true. And that's the same thing with us today. When you're preaching the Word of God, you may have people that get upset. And, and he's writing to Titus here, and he's saying, rebuke with all authority. When you're correcting people and you're showing them the right way, you're using the authority of God. It's not your own authority. And as long as you stay in the doctrine and stay in the Scriptures, it's God's authority. And you can present it that way. In Revelation 3, chapter 19, Jesus tells us why we rebuke people. Revelation 3, 19, Jesus says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. When we're coming and we're rebuking people, we're showing them the correct way of how they should follow. We're showing them their faults and showing them how to get back on the right path. The reason and the motivation behind that is not to make us look better. It's not to make them feel bad. The reason is because we love them and we want to see our fellow man get to heaven. 
And when you present it that way with, and with a matter of love and humility and patience and authority through the scriptures, you will find the people with an honest heart that they truly do want to go to heaven. They truly want to obey no matter what it says. They'll listen and they won't get upset with you. They might get upset for a minute. For a minute. However, over time, they'll realize what you did took a lot of courage and it took a lot of action and love on your behalf that they'll come back to you and they'll be grateful. I've had it happen in my life. I'm sure you've had it as well where people would rebuke you and chasten you with love and with meekness, and I'm grateful for those. And people will be grateful for you as well as long as you're doing it out of love. We continue on in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and now going down to verse 3 and 4, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned into fables. There's always going to be a time. This is Paul writing 2,000 years ago. The time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine. That was happening on day one. They didn't endure sound doctrine. That was 2,000 years ago, and it hasn't changed ever since. The time is now, and the time has always been when certain people will not endure sound doctrine. When we kind of look at this, there's three classes of people who choose not to follow God. The first class is some who don't want to follow after God's way, and they are just never going to follow after God's way. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1-6 through 6 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. Paul's writing here in 2 Timothy, and he's saying that you're going to run into these people, that they're going to be lovers of their own selves, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They're just going to do what they want to do. And sometimes we're going to encounter people that way. One thing that I really want to make it clear, it it is not up to you to decide who these people are. You don't know who these people are. You don't know people who hear the word of God and choose to turn away or hear the word of God and choose to follow. We don't know. In the book of Matthew, when when, uh, Jesus is writing about the parable of the sower, he's saying to go sow the seed. You don't nitpick and see wherever you want to put the seed and put one at a time. You go sow it. You scatter it. Throw it everywhere. And then the people who have the honest heart, those will be the ones who follow. We can't see people's heart. God can, but we can't. We don't know who these people are. So you're going to have people who don't want to follow after God's way, but you don't know who these people are until you give them an opportunity to follow after God's way. The second class of people are those going to be some who have started their walk with God and they've decided to turn back. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Paul's telling us here, you're going to have some that will depart from the faith. It's unfortunate. We see it. Some people choose to walk down that path, and they choose to turn back and follow after their worldly lust, and it's going to happen. 
We're going to see those people. Now, our responsibility with those people is going back to 2 Timothy, where we talk about preach the word, stand upon it, is to have patience, to constantly be there encouraging, comforting one another, trying to bring them back with every opportunity we can. It's their choice with what they're going to do with it. Our responsibility is to try to bring them back with comfort and courage. Now, the last class of people who choose not to follow after God, those are going to be those who turn into false teachers. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1-3, through 3, it says, But there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. As many shall follow after their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now the long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Sometimes people are going to fall into being this false teacher. Now one thing about these false teachers is they will lead others astray. Some people are going to follow after them. It's our job as Christians to preach the word and stand upon that word and make sure that we're rebuking these false teachings. And sometimes we have to do that with a lot of authority, and that's authority from God. And we have to stand up against these false teachers and reprove them, show them where they're wrong, and show them the correct way. And then it's up to them to decide if they're going to follow after that or not. And it's up to the people who decide to follow after them if they're going to follow after those false teachers or if they're going to change and follow after the Word of God. Now, regardless, we've looked at three different classes. We've looked at those who are never going to follow the gospel. We've looked at those who started to follow the gospel and decided to turn away. And then we looked at those who turn into false teachers and pull other people away. Regardless of what class someone may fall in, does not change the responsibility that we have laid out in 2 Timothy chapter, two, chapter 4. And that is preach the word and stand upon it. When it's convenient for you, when it's not convenient, stand upon that word of God. Now, when we look about, we've read about a lot from Paul and a lot of what he taught Timothy and what he's teaching us to do. Many times we preach the word. Sometimes I see, and, and sometimes myself, I'm guilty of it. I've caused, I've led into it to cause an argument that I know that I can win. You know, sometimes we can be pretty crafty with the word. When we study, we've gained a lot of knowledge. We gain a lot of wisdom, and we can use that just in order to win an argument. The purpose of studying with people is not to win an argument. And here's what I know, and this is what I know for myself. When I structure a study in a way, or I structure a certain conversation in a way for me to win an argument, that's about me. That's about me looking good. And that's about me setting myself higher than them, that I know more than them, or that I can follow after the scriptures better than them. But the point is, that is wrong. When you're having a conversation with people, you're studying with people, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the person that you're studying with to bring them on the correct path. Paul taught us this in Romans chapter 10, verse 1 through 3. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Paul is telling us here his motivation. His motivation for writing these letters to the churches, his motivation for going to preach the word, for going to the synagogues, his motivation for withstanding the times that he got stoned and he was almost stoned to death, 
shipwrecked, going to prison. His motivation for going through all these things is so that people might be saved. The question this morning is, do we have the same motivation when we're studying with people? Do we have the motivation that we want to be an opportunity and to present an opportunity to save that person's soul? Or do we do it so we can win an argument and we can look good ourselves? Paul's motivation is so that he would save souls. And our motivation is to follow after that as well. You know, when, when doing so, when you're working with people and you're studying with people, sometimes it takes different approaches depending upon the person and depending upon the situation. There's not a manual of a one-size-fits-all from converting a soul. It takes different approaches. Jude chapter 1, verse 21 shows us this. Jude, beginning in verse 21, says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Jude is telling us here in verse 22 and 23 that there's different approaches depending upon the situation. It says some people have compassion upon them, show love, show encouragement, make a difference in their life, inspire them to do good works. Others save with fear. That means get a little bit more aggressive. Pull them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by flesh. That's when we come in with all authority from the scriptures and we speak boldly. We speak confidently. And we show people what you're doing is wrong and you need to change your ways. So the point of this is that there's different approaches. And either way you choose, whether it's compassion making a difference or whether it's saving with fear, every single time it has to be relationship-based. People have to know that you care about them. You know, there's a common quote. I know all of us have heard it many times. that People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's true. And that's especially true spiritually as well. People have to know you care about them, their life, and their souls, whether that's with compassion or whether that's saving with fear and pulling them out of the fire. Either way, it's relationship-based and show them that you care. And our mission as Christians and as soldiers for Christ is to save souls for His kingdom. James chapter, nine, James chapter 5, verse 19 Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. This is our mission as Christians. Follow after Christ with everything that we've got. Obey him. Preach the word of God and stand upon that and be when it's convenient for you, when it's not convenient. Go out into the world and save souls. Sometimes save with compassion. Sometimes save with fear. Make sure people know you love them, you care about them. So the charge that we've been studying about this morning, Paul's charge to Timothy, teaches us that we need to preach the Word of God, stand upon that Word of God, and use it to save souls. And there is nothing more important for us to be than soldiers for the kingdom to continually fight the sin problem that we have in this world. You know, it's really great that we can come on Sunday mornings, we can assemble together, we can show up on Wednesday nights and have Bible studies, and we can have fellowship with one another. And that's all great. It's fantastic. It's encouraging, and it helps us to do, to do well. And if we're not taking the message out into the world, we're missing the point. The point is, use what you've been given, the blessings that you have for God, and be a good steward and return it exponentially. 
The only way you can return the blessing that you have of the gospel of Christ exponentially is to go teach it to people. Go preach that word and stand upon it when it's convenient for you, when it's not convenient for you. So Paul's charge to Timothy this morning is Paul's charge to us. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.